Hello, and welcome back to the Real Professional Podcast's Dread X Collection Collection, the collection of episodes where we're interviewing all the developers from the Dread X Collection. Now, what is the Dread X Collection, you might be asking? Well, by the time you're listening to this, uh, the trailer will likely have already dropped. Um, so, uh, But just in case Jesse gets this edited incredibly fast and gets it out before the, the, the trailer drop, which is happening very, very soon. Uh, I won't I won't spoil where it's coming from and who's doing it and uh, when and all that stuff. But the, the Dreadix collection is coming very, very quickly. Uh, I want to thank you all that have been joining us for this this great journey. Um, I didn't you know know what to expect when I reached out to ten different indie developers and asked them all to make a game in seven days, but the results have been really incredible. So if you're not familiar, uh, the Dreadix collection is a collection of ten uh, short games by uh, ten talented indie developers. Uh, mostly solo devs. Uh, there's one team working with us, and that would be uh, the Scythe dev team. Um, and then, of course, a lot of the indie dev- developers did. You know, you can see in their credits that they did. You know, ask for an artist or helper. You know, for this or that. But uh, you know, it's mostly their their own creations. And um, the the premise was to make your own playable teaser in seven days. So PT is a game that has made huge ripples in the horror community. And uh, I wanted to recreate the idea of PT, not in just the 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 the, the actual uh, co- content of PT, the walking through a hallway, but in the concept of PT, which is to create a a game that it's its its own game in its own right. It's its own little kind of you know snapshot of a larger game. It works as its own little chapter. Uh, it's not necessarily a vertical slice. It's got its own kind of beginning and end. You get to see what the game's all about. Uh, but it also has its own personality. So to create something that stands on its own, but also serves as an introduction into uh, a larger world. Um, and so that's, you know, what I, the, the, the prompt I went out with to 10 different developers and uh, seven days to do it. And uh, they all delivered. And, um, you know, we'll, you'll be able to actually see it for yourself pretty soon. Uh, it's the, the, we got a release date that's going to be announced soon. Like I said, I don't want to announce it prematurely here in case JC does his editing too fast. But uh, it's been a really great experience. If you listened to our previous episodes, this is the 10th episode, so we're done with all 10 developers. And um, I just really hope all you guys like it. So today we're talking with Justin Renard, who did uh, From Secret Cow Level, who has done Don't Go Out. It's kind of a card game, tactics, hybrid game. And uh, we're just going to you know, learn all about what it took to, to make this game. So DJ, drop that sick beat! doing all right how are you uh i'm good i'm you know it's we're wrapping up the production end of uh, all this stuff and you know dotting all our i's crossing all our t's getting it all approved on the the steam back end and stuff like that and it's it's been a crazy journey oh yeah i bet i've been on that steam journey Mm. yeah well the the steam journey is like uh we gotta try to get it verified quick so that we can get it up by the release date but they're like there's text in your hero library image and i'm like uh, what? And then so I have to figure out what they're talking about. And um, but I will say that, you know, I, I think that with the new 
process, there's a, a newer process that I've been working with a programmer through. Uh, it is easier than it used to be because he was saying that it used to be, you know, kind of like a nightmare to try to get your files up. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's been, um, I mean, it's, it's, I, I'm actually kind of shocked with how smoothly this whole process has gone. There hasn't been any major fires to put out. Yeah, I mean, making a game quickly and then getting it live and pushed to the Steam store that quickly is a feat for everybody involved. Yeah, I mean, it was um, kind of crazy to see all these developers that actually, you know, uh, come through. I think the next time, uh, if there is a next time, hopefully there's a next time we do something like this, I'm probably going to be like a number of work hours, uh, you know, it all made in X number of work hours. I'll still use like the seven days tagline, but uh, just because... You know, some people can only work half days and some people, they had personal emergencies they needed to take care of. So it took them a little bit longer and that's totally fine. But, you know, uh, in the contract, it was like this delivery date. And uh, it was like, I think a lot of people were feeling the pressure of that, especially when they had to like split it up into uh, like more of like a 10 day thing because of, you know, life happening. Oh, for sure. But you guys were super cool about it whenever anybody had any any uh, hiccups. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I really wanted this to be like a pleasant process for all the, the developers involved, and it seems like everyone's been getting along well. No one's like at each other's throats about anything. Yeah, seemed, I mean, nobody really liked you, but we all got along really well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm kind of the big asshole of the group, so. <laughs> totally kidding. No, I, I it's it's fine. As long, no, you can not like me as long as I get everyone paid, then they're happy. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Wisdom. Um, yeah, I know, right? No, um, yeah, so uh, there's a few things that I wanted to talk about today, because uh, we've actually had you on the podcast before to talk about uh, Doom Trooper. It was one of our uh, more successful previous episodes, which was cool. It was cool to be able to talk to you about Doom Trooper. Um, so now we got you on to talk about uh, a different game, the Don't Go Out, um, which, you know, there's some interesting uh qualities to that which is that you make actually made it within the same kind of engine that you made doom trooper uh yeah that's that's correct it's always been a dream to um we always i've always said that i'm making my own engine for doom trooper but it's always been a dream to prove that i could make a second property with it and uh you know you gave us seven days so (laughs) i had to go as, as quick as i could and figure it out but it went a lot smoother than i expected and i'm very very excited yeah i mean it's it's kind of crazy too because um, there's like one UI element that I can see, or like maybe two UI elements that I can see being similar to Doom Trooper. But other than that, it's like a completely different game. Yeah, um, I mean we we started with like we took the the Doom Trooper code base and got the the shell of the game itself and just cut everything out so that it could load the the engine or whatever you want to call it. And then we cherry picked the requirements of stuff that we needed and moved it over and cleaned it up one at a time just mm-hmm. to make sure that. Uh, we had all the foundational tools we needed, and then we created some new stuff for the the tile-based uh, JRPG look that I've been wanting to make for years. I was, I was excited to get to finally make them. Yeah, and um, I would say that uh, the, the two elements that people that have played Doom Trooper will probably recognize are, one, the energy system, which I think that's a repurposed from the energy system in Doom Trooper. And the second is the, like just the way the cards are, are displayed at the bottom, kind of the layout <laughs> of it. Yeah, the, the math equations and stuff for the for the card to be fanned at the bottom was uh the same very similar code not not quite the same but very similar yeah 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 but it's it's like it's one of those things where like you would never guess that it was made in in the same engine it's pretty crazy yeah i'm excited because um we we improved a lot of stuff like we got to take this as an opportunity to upgrade 
to newer code libraries and frameworks and stuff that was a little risky to do. And we can't do it on Doom Trooper, but you know, we, we had seven days to figure it out. So we tried it here. And a lot of the things that we tried, uh, solved longstanding problems, made the code better. And we're going to port that back into Doom Trooper so that the future engine is, you know, more powerful and faster and all that. I mean, that was kind of the, the hope with this project was that people would experiment with new things because, you know, it is, it is a small project that you're making, but you're making it such a, a rapid uh, clip. Oh, excuse me. But you're making it in such a rapid clip that uh, it, was, it was kind of like to try to experiment. Okay, well, I've never tried this before, so let's see how that works. Actually, like a ton of people did that. Like I would say most of the projects, because I did want it to be a little bit experimental, were, okay, I'm going to try this thing that we haven't tried tried this before, but we have some idea how it'll work. Yeah, I'm, I really wanted to do that because we wanted to, I, I've been wanting to make a JRPG tile based system like Super Nintendo graphics for years, but I could never prioritize it because I was so busy working on um, Doom Trooper content. And then I've been wanting to make a second game just to prove out the tech and clean stuff up. And this opportunity came across, I, you know, metaphorically speaking across my desk and I had to, I had to use that opportunity to do all those things. Yeah. Yeah, no, I feel like a lot of people, because um, that was the common response I got when I first started this, was a lot of people saying, I've wanted to do something like this for a while, but I haven't been able to financially justify it. So to have a, a thing that, like, you know, we're going to try to sell here and a little bit of money up front was like, a lot of people were like, okay, this is something that I can then try this experimental thing out. Yeah, I, I'd love to keep doing that in, in my future and all making all the fun tech that I want to make. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think that, uh, I mean, it is always a balance to try to do something experimental versus the actually having to like make a game that people want to buy. You know? <laughs> well, I mean, I hope people will still want to buy this game. This one, I, I think that they'll, they will because uh, of just the sheer variety of it. Yeah, it's I, I was nervous at first because of all the different developers and they're all super talented uh, and I've never made anything in as fast as seven days in my life. And uh, once I started seeing the the posts that they were making and the variety, like I expected it to be, you know, getting getting uh, the Dusk developer in, I expected to see just like kind of nine FPSs plus mm-hmm. mine. And when I saw what we were actually getting, which I don't know how much, you know, you've told people, but like the variety is crazy. Like the stuff yeah. that's in there is not what I expected. So I'm uh, very eager to play through all the final versions. Yeah, I mean, I... I it's it's not what a lot of people are expecting you know i mean it's it's like so i, I that's one of the things is that playing through all 10 uh you were saying you know it's not what i expected but like there's there's some weird games in there so and I, I really hope that um like i would say that each of the individual games themselves uh they, they'd probably be a couple bucks on steam you know something like uh uh Airdorf's game summer nights would probably be three dollars uh, maybe the Pony Factory by uh, David would probably be like you know four or five, and uh, but bringing them all together you know for seven bucks is is I don't know. <laughs> so the the powers that be are like, are we undercharging for this? And I was like, I don't know, maybe, but like for this first one, I'm just hoping that people are happy with you know the the value that they're getting. Oh yeah, it's it's gonna be great because each gameplay, uh, the way I understand, because I haven't beat them all, I'm trying to hold off till we get everything final. Um, the I've heard that a lot of them are terrifying and just getting through like the scary stuff is going to take a lot of time and be worth the $5, but then getting through the, the action and the stories you are going to gain so much from that. And then our game, you know, is, is more, I, I would say our game plays kind of like a puzzle game too. And, uh, solving the puzzle and being able to beat our demo is, is 
an achievement in its own right. Yeah, because yours is pretty difficult. Yeah, it's uh, it, it is uh, until it isn't, and that's we had to stop. Like I had to stop messing with it because uh, wait, can I swear? Because I keep all yeah, you almost... can you, you can say you can swear. It's fine. You right, just... you can't swear. We can. <laughs> I'm trying hard not to, just you know, to be professional. But uh, yeah, when we were designing it, we kept messing around with stuff to try to balance it to make it fun, and that was tricky. And we got to the point where it was that it is really hard until you figure out some tricks and then it's really beatable. So in that way, it's like a puzzle and we just had to leave it because balance is tricky. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I, it is, it is balance is, is a very difficult part of the game because there's, there's everyone's like, Oh, well, you know, it's perfectly balanced. It just feels good. But there's different levels of balance. You can balance here. Like I was just playing this, um, new dark souls style game. And like there, there is a certain amount that you want, people to get frustrated and quit in that style of game that might not work for, I don't, I don't know, like hello pony magic Island adventures. you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, for uh, you know, your, your kind of game is like, I, I don't want to spoil too much about it. Um, it. Even though yours really isn't like a narrative focused game. I just don't want to spoil because the basic concept is that, you know, you're trying, you have a certain amount of actions per turn, you know, these cards and it is, um, as opposed to a lot of card games where it's like randomized um, deck, there is like a certain order to it because it is a little bit more of a, a of a focused like a, it's like a puzzle. And um, and uh, unless you've changed that in the newest version that I haven't seen or something, but uh, you 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 have to make choices of that might not be immediately apparent of which is the correct choice. Is it good to do something like this or is it bad to do something like this? And you kind of have to learn the system, which is kind of the, the, the core of all card games. Yeah. I mean, we, the deck is, uh, it is the starting deck is randomized, but it's small. So you will, if you play the cards, you'll get through, you can get through the whole deck by playing the demo. Uh, but the randomization kind of let, leads you to maybe have a little replayability, especially as you figure it out. And, you know, it's, it's a horror anthology, and we chose to make it basically 16-bit Super Nintendo. So we had to think, like, how do we make 16-bit scary? And the two ways we wanted to do were, or three ways, were lighting, because not a lot of, like, retro games had interesting lighting. So most of our, our hardcore dev work was put in making the lighting work uh, in 2D. And then uh, the music, because music can be really creepy in the Super Nintendo. I, I kept referencing Shadowgate on the original NES when if anybody played that when your uh, torches were about to go out, it would pitch shift the music up and faster and it would terrify me because I knew when the torch went out, I was going to die and I had to find another torch before that music killed me. Uh, so we wanted to kind of recreate that feeling. Uh, and then the third thing was the old school games were brutal. Like they just threw you in and said, go. So we didn't, mm -hmm. we purposely left out any tutorial or any dialogue or any, anything you start the game and you have no idea what you're doing and that's on purpose. And that was a risky choice, but uh, I think it's kind of cool. I'm 38 years old, so I remember those days where it's like I had no, or 37. Thank you, wife. <laughs> uh, I have no idea <laughs> what I'm doing, and I gotta figure it out as I go. And of course, you're gonna die the first time because you're like, "Wow, that's not what I'm supposed to click." But as you figure it out, you know the the terror subsides a little bit as you become more comfortable with the mechanics. And that was intentional, even if some people aren't gonna love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that. Um... The, the the what you're saying with that kind of like old school style of design where it kind of just throws you in is is kind of the feeling I got when I first started but which was that like you you like the first playthrough of your game you're gonna die 
most likely going to die pretty quickly um, because you are just kind of figuring things out. But that's kind of how you mix horror with uh, uh, a card game is that you don't want, if you overly explain it, then it, it's not, you don't have that friction of figuring it out. And that friction yeah. is where a lot of things get scary. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the theory. <laughs> that's uh, the theory. We tried it and, and I know we, we nailed I mean, let's say there's like five things to nail. We, we nailed two and a half to three of them. Like we did some cool stuff. Uh, and I look forward to, regardless of what happens, like uh, we're going to play around with the demo and, and, and make new levels and new mechanics and just see how can we make this as scary and fun as possible if we want to continue it and do more someday. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that, um, I mean, that's always the, the next question is that since this is supposed to be a playable teaser for a potential future project is, you know, what do you what would you, what would you plan to do with a potential future project for this? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, first off, in, in terms of the project, like I could not have done this at all without the, the people who helped. I mean, we had uh, John and Akshay doing helping with the audio because I'm not uh, I mean, I, I like I can play guitar badly, but I can't program that stuff. Uh, my friend uh, John. He helped with a different John helped with the more difficult math for the, um, the getting the FPS up and the lighting system and various stuff. And then Matt did all of the art, uh, the pixel art for me because he is an amazing pixel ninja. So mm-hmm. I just make sure I acknowledge like the people that helped with that because it's making this stuff, especially in seven days is, is so much work. Like I'm still recovering. Um, but the full, we had so much fun working on it that everybody who touched it is like, we want to, we need to make more we need to make more and we we snuck in uh the basics of a tile editor into there so that we could design the level uh if we expand on that and then link levels together there's no way, reason we couldn't have a ongoing like kind of story arc campaign with multiple levels and mm-hmm. then expanding on the cards mechanic of course uh the storyline the adding some form of combat well more combat i guess technically and right now it's a fixed camera where you see the whole map as you play. Uh, there's nothing really preventing us other than time to making a giant map where you can actually move around it. That would take much longer to get across. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, that, that all sounds awesome. Yeah, I think in experimenting with other horror tropes, you know, we're kind of doing it's kind of um, a cross between like zombie with like airborne diseases right now with a little bit of like Crystal Lake summer camp visual vibes. Yes. But we could we could explore tons of different uh on different levels different like horror tropes in 2d and i think it'd be a lot of fun yeah no i definitely agree i mean it's uh i think that there's a lot of space you go especially because you did keep the story like the visuals kind of go a few different places and then what you visually represent like you know in in terms of uh different parts of the genre are very diverse and i mean i I could see this going any number of directions yeah i i look forward to r&d and prototyping and seeing what we can make fun so um, the uh, so the next question I have is um, going to be about uh, Doom Trooper. How's how's that coming along since we last chatted? Oh, it's good. Um, I mean, it's it's the same old old problem when I'm basically making a ten million dollar game for a very tiny, barely six figure budget. So I bit off a little more than I can chew, as anyone who's worked with me or on the project kind of knows it. But uh, people have said that I'm passionate and resilient so i'll i'll, re- I'll rehash those words um, <laughs> the current goal right now is uh, i've been streaming twice a week on tuesdays and thursdays on twitch where i am live developing the game focusing mo- m- uh, mainly on content to make sure that new content is going into the game and i'm working to get a regular schedule as we launch on steam where uh, updates 
should happen almost every Monday. You can tune in live for work on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And Friday, I'm going to do some kind of marketing to let people know, hey, here's the new stuff we have and here's what we're working on. Just to make sure that, you know, it's a big market and we want people to know we're here, we're working, we're actively updating, and there's always new content. So uh, when we launch on Steam and we go to open beta, we want people to come play it and then we want them to stick around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I definitely, I think that the card game is, is super fun. It's just that um, different factions like felt like they needed some tweaking. And so like that kind of open design process where you can actually see the factions like changing in real time, I think would be super, super useful. Yeah. And we, uh, I do another stream on Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. where the idea, it's small right now, but it's me and my wife or sometimes we'll like uh, get in some of the other developers. And the idea is like, a, we call it coffee chat where we're just kind of talking about what we're working on casually and people can ask questions. And as the game grows, that'd be a, a chance for people to come in and, and really tell us like these polls and whatever, like this card sucks and needs to be taken out or this card needs to be buffed or whatever you're passionate about in the game. You'll have a clear like town hall every week that you can come in and yell at me. And mm-hmm. I don't know a lot of other CCGs that are trying to build that personal connection with their, their players. Yeah, no, I mean, well, that's also because you're one of the few people that's actually making a CCG, like, basically, very, very small teams. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that I know very, very close. To, that that hits close to home because it's so <laughs> true. Uh, yeah. Um, but the, uh, so, what? okay, so Doom Trooper, hopefully it will, you know, the, the fact that you're streaming more, I think, is good. The community engagement, I think, is good, especially for a game like that. You know, I, I, I think that there's so much potential there. Um and I, I, I've been looking, I've been looking forward to seeing the changes that have been done on it recently. But you know, the past month has been like mostly doing this. <laughs> no, I, I feel you. Everything in my life has been shifted around. Uh, you know, throwing. It's like, oh, it's just seven days. It'll be fine. And then I, I'm recovering. You know, personally, professionally, every like mentally. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I feel you. Um, but, okay, so we have a giveaway going right now for a, a game you previously worked on, which, funny enough, I, I had no idea, and I've talked to you, like, a, a few times, like, I've met you, <laughs> and we've, like, hung out, and I, I had no idea uh, before uh, I was just, like, you know, I, you had mentioned something about it, and I, I looked it up, but you worked on uh, a game that Jesse here is a fan of, uh, Fallout New Vegas, Yep, I'm I'm a complicated man. I'm surprised you, that's not like your introduction. Hi, I worked on New <laughs> Vegas, and also my name is Justin. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I do use that every now and then. You know, I just I I live in Los Angeles, so I don't want to walk around and shake hands with people and then immediately lead with my biggest accolades because that's kind of what everybody does. Oh, fair, that's, that fair is enough. that's literally how everyone works there. Uh, Jesse, I'm sure you have actually a, a couple questions about New Vegas, which you can ask while I go grab myself a soda real quick, because I forgot <laughs> to bring one in here. Jesse, you mind, mind asking a couple questions? Sure. Uh, so, what's your favorite? What's your favorite build in New Vegas? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, I mean, funny story on that is I I worked really hard on that game. I mean, everybody did. I'm not like special. I don't doubt it. And yeah. like the future of Obsidian for a moment, like kind of hinged on that because we we needed to get that out and i was leaving the office sometimes at like three in the morning and coming back in at 9 a.m and i was so excited to finally see it all come together and then when we shipped it i just couldn't bring myself to like spend you know how many hundreds of hours you need to spend in the wasteland i i couldn't do it uh during testing though i always used the um like the ranger outfit the new 
NCR. And definitely I mean, the just coolest one for sure. Yeah, the suit and the gas mask and uh, that stuff was really cool. And we had a, I believe it was, there was a debug gun I was always using. Uh, it like launched babies. I, if I remember, it was like a rocket Holy launcher shit. that launched babies. You should use your contacts to, uh, you know, have them put that in the next patch. It's been long yeah. enough. The world needs to know. I was gonna say, speaking of patches, I, I have to give respect to my friend John Burke. He um, he went on after uh, that came out, and he was the lead developer on all of the DLCs, and he kept that the patches and the updates and stuff uh, to Fallout New Vegas going when we all had either moved on to other things or, you know, checked into mental institutions. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Phenomenal there was, a, there was a lot, a lot of stuff in that game. And, uh, yeah, you said, like, waiting until 3, a, 3 a.m. Uh, for listeners who may not know, uh, Obsidian uh, or Bethesda made you push that entire game out in, like, what, like a year? Like it, two years? Yeah, Something. I don't remember the exact timeline, but it was it was fast. And they they gave us the Fallout 3 code base and they approved our design because a lot of the original Fallout 1 and 2 developers worked at Obsidian. Uh, so it was a great fit for the studio but it was like here's your budget here's the engine go and like no as far as i know there's like no additional funding there's no extensions really like it was it was just this has to get done and obsidian at the time was um always like staffing up to do a project and then they'd have to let some people go and then they'd get another contract and staff up again. Mm. And it was, it was always, you know, it was tricky being an independent studio because you had to keep those contracts on deck. So fallout being such a big title was crucial to, uh, from my perspective, at least to obsidian success. So we yeah. all, and, and for the record, uh, I like to, I'd like to make clear that they never, to my knowledge, made us work those hours. It was, it was, the worst, yeah, but... the worst they ever did was, hey guys, this is important to the studio, so we encourage you to do everything you can to make sure that we can get this done. And 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 if you wanted to leave, you left. Uh, but I, you know, wanted to make sure that I did my part for the Obsidian family, so I worked some long hours there. I don't doubt it, but you know, Crunch, like you know, they may not overtly say you need to work these crazy hours, but by giving you the limitations of being like. Uh, you know, a game this massive needs to be done in so little time. Uh, you know, your options are to either work really hard or uh, release like an incomplete game. And in some ways, you know, unfortunately, uh, Fallout New Vegas was kind of incomplete. I mean, I, I do, I did hear some things about how the uh, the Caesar's Legion uh, was not as fleshed out as they would have liked, and uh, there's there's some other things too. There have been theories that uh, that was an attempt by Bethesda to get like Obsidian shut down, or uh, or at the very least, like some petty like power power move. I don't know. I'm sorry. I don't. I don't think there was that kind of ill will. I think. I think uh, what I know of Bethesda. Well, what I want to say on podcast about Bethesda is that they run a business. Yeah. Uh, yeah. From my experiences, my personal experiences, I was never introduced to the Bethesda family, as you could say. I was introduced to the Bethesda business machine. And the example I will give is uh, I told you the hours that I worked, and that was for maybe weeks or two months. I don't know, like hardcore, given everything I had mentally. Like I had to go sit in silence 
in anger a few times and calm down just because my mental state was not great. But I wanted to get that game done. The launch party was in Vegas, of all places, of course. Of and course. Uh, we were not invited. The developers, the programmers, for, we, we didn't get to go. For fuck's sake. Yeah. Um, That's, yeah. But, you know, the press did, the business people did, I think the executives of Obsidian did, and like the really high up, like famous employees of Obsidian. But I would have, I, if I were Bethesda, I would have invited at least the whole dev team. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, bare um, minimum. That's, um, I don't think they had ill will per se towards Obsidian, but I don't think there were, I don't think there were open arms, um, from my perspective from them to all of us. I think it was a, a business transaction and that's not bad. You know, they, they are a very successful company, but I, mean, I would have liked a little warm hug at the end. <laughs> in some ways that's even worse. I mean, that's the cruel cold machinery instead of, uh, um, you know, just the, you know, human pettiness. Like, uh, it's also worth noting real quick, and I'm not trying to, to underplay how much of a corporation Bethesda is, but this is like New Vegas did come out quite some time ago. And yeah. Bethesda is a different company now than it, well, not completely different, but they're, they're, they have some different ethos than it was now than it was 10 years ago. I mean, you look at studios like Arcane Studios or it's software that work with Bethesda now, and I, I think that they did. There was a, a, a kind of corporate rebranding. Well, I don't know if rebranding is the word, but there, there, there was a re-friendliness a, a, a re thing. I don't really know how to put it. Yeah, I can only speak for that era, you know, almost a decade ago with, with the New Vegas stuff from my perspective. And uh, I, I, I will hold a grudge for my entire life that I didn't get to go to the launch party, I think. So. <laughs> Un- understandable. Well, is, is that, you know, New, New Vegas, I don't think – Bethesda expected it to be as successful as it was, um, <laughs> especially critically, um, because their design philosophy with uh, Fallout 3 was like, what if we made Fallout stupider, but <laughs> we made it so that it was in first person? And um, there's a lot of like mechanical kind of niggles with that game, like uh, the fact that... Um, uh, you know, you can't iron sight on all of the guns um, when that was in the age where iron sights were becoming uh, very, 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 very like much a standard for all FPSs. Um, and then, you know, the, 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 this really, really poorly designed Metro, uh, the Fallout 3 Metro was like just like a labyrinth of bullshit with, with like really no, no point. Yeah, nothing in it except for like like a, a cult of vampires and... Uh... Were there even any other quests in there? Like maybe, so, maybe there was a answer. lot of there was a lot of ghoul shoots. Yeah. Um, but and then uh, you know, New Vegas comes out, and it was hey, what if we actually made it so that your medicine skill check would actually work in dialogue again? And let's <laughs> give all of the guns iron sights. Um, I, I don't know if like the rocket launcher has an iron sight, but it's like you know they it does. Oh well, then there you go. But like mechanically. Yeah. They, they improved a lot of the game, and it was like, okay, well, you know, l- instead of the metro, we now have this giant open desert, but the desert still feels more alive because of all the places you can find than that metro did. And, um, like, it's crazy that you can have the ruins of, uh, you know, what Bethesda took place in Washington. Number three took place in Washington, D.C., right? I'm correct with that. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Four took place in uh, Boston. Um, yeah. And then Fallout New Vegas, huge open flat map, and it feels more alive, um, <laughs> even though it is a desert and there are large, large stretches of nothing. 
but it, it got you into the sense of, oh, this is what a Fallout game is about, but it's not the same repeated broken down buildings with nothing in it over and over again. There were a few buildings with nothing in it. It's a Fallout game. Of course there are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I mean, you got to consider some of the things that you guys have said and I've said connecting here, right? So you mentioned that Fallout New Vegas in some ways may have been an incomplete game, right? So mm-hmm. that's a classic story of Obsidian. Uh, and it's I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing because we had so many and still do badass narrative people like the the dialogue of, a, of an obsidian game the the um dialogue editor and the tools that we created and we used we were able to put things like uh you said your medicine check in a dialogue and do branching dialogue and have things feel alive but because of that we're stuffing the world with so much content and so much life and so much flavor that when it comes time like the game has to wind down and be shipped a lot of that stuff is likely 60-70% complete because there's just so much life that Obsidian can put into their worlds. And yeah. they never right. have the budget to, to do it the way – no one ever wants to give them the budget to do it the way that they should because uh, until now, when them being bought, bought by Microsoft, I know uh, their new game had really high reviews. And I, I'm excited to see what else Obsidian can make with proper that? budget uh, because Tyrant? they can make a world feel like a world like nobody else. No, they can't. Uh, and I, I, I think that you are uh, – there's something – when you talk about the dialogue in, the, in New Vegas, so there's like the moments where uh, you can tell how someone feels about Caesar's Legion, about whether they call it Caesar's Legion or Kaiser's Legion. And basically it's, it's a very simple distinction, but it, it paints like this really – it's like a little level of intricacy in this world that is immediately – graspable immediately pick upable you find out why it's that way and it, it's like a really great moment of characterization and um but that being said i think that if you gave obsidian infinite money to make a game with they would infinitely make a game <laughs> fair enough i mean maybe uh the outer worlds which did in a few ways feel uh like a more constrained version of a final product of that game because um, there were like several planets you couldn't visit. And I think that was probably them working within a budget because they, they realized that they could release the rest of it later as DLC with, you know, extra budget. Yeah. That, that sounds like a best, I mean, I can't speak about that game specifically, but that sounds like a best case scenario for, for Obsidian because if the, the more games that we made when I was there and I'm guessing afterwards, they got better and better on everyone with scoping things and realizing that you could scope three planets instead of five, for example, uh, and save those other two for DLC in a different budget is a pretty smart decision if you can flesh out those three the way that they are badass at fleshing story and worlds out. Oh, yeah. I wasn't trying to knock um, Outer Worlds. I thought it was a great game. Oh, for sure. I was just saying that uh, that's kind of how it it felt like um, as opposed to something like – so New Vegas – when it was created, it wasn't created with the DLC in mind. It was created to try to be the full game, and then the DLC came in later and added stuff that was awesome. But it right. was like kind of its own story. I mean, the whole uh, God, who was even the bad guy in the DLC? It wasn't the the, the courier because you were the courier, uh, Ulysses, the, right? The other right. courier. <laughs> yeah, the other courier. A lot of couriers. Um, yeah, and I really liked the way that New Vegas did its DLC, which is that um, it. Like the order that you play it in once they're all out is different than the order they actually released in. So they released the story in kind of like at non chronological fragments, which I liked. Um, and it also functions even if you play it out of order. Um, 
unless you play the divide first, because then the rest of it's not going to make sense because the divide is like literally how it all ends. But um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I feel like that's an example of a game where, uh, you know, it was it was successful. And so they said, oh, shit, like, let's make DLC. DLC is great. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. Um, but then you have the outer worlds, which it feels like uh, they, they created it to have. You know, they really fleshed out these few, but they said, OK, we can save these other ones for DLC. I'm not saying it's a bad way to do things. I'm just saying that it is it is different. Yeah, I, I have noticed that Obsidian is also really good at like intention, like just how the layout, like they, they were very good at working within these constraints. Like uh, the map for New Vegas is a lot smaller than it actually fe- than it feels. But like just the way that they're able to layer paths um and like guide the player in certain directions with the geography uh, certainly makes it feel like three times as big as it actually is. I, uh, I give a lot of props to Josh Sawyer. Um, Cause he, I mean, this in a good way. Like he ruled the vision with an iron fist and he, he saw in his head, like how everything connected and how the stories would connect. And he knew what we could and couldn't do. He, probably even knew what stuff probably was going to get cut. And he would go by everybody's office every day and make sure that he is steering that ship in the direction of his vision. And I haven't worked with a lot of people that had that kind of, I don't know, control over a vision, like in a good way. Uh, it's easy for things to fall through the cracks and like going back to doom trooper and even the, the horror game, it's hard to keep your horse blinders on and, and, focus on one thing at a time while remembering the big picture. And he was always great at that. And that's why he's been so successful. I'm sure. I mean, just personally with this project, you know, trying to, okay, today I have to finish the, the, the overarching narrative today. I have to work with the voice actor today. I have to work with the artist while also being aware that all these things need to be done at X date. And then like figuring like, that's all very, very difficult. I don't know. I, I, so I had a, uh, what you were saying about the, 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 the creating this layered world, Jesse, I have, um, so, so Justin, have you kept up with the more recent Obsidian games? Uh, I just know of the Outer Worlds because I, I still hang out with some of those guys every now and then, but I haven't played it. Well, what about like Tyranny and stuff? Uh, I, I like keeping up with what they're building there because I always wanted to, uh, I always talked to uh, Darren Monahan who worked there and a few other guys, uh, Adam Brennicky, about, I wanted to make smaller games like old school Baldur's Gate. Like let's, let's go back and let's get unity and like, let's make a smaller project that obsidian can own. And it didn't happen in my time there. And then when um, pillars of eternity and tyranny came out, that was basically them doing exactly that finally. And I was so stoked. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, so I had a friend play, so everyone remembers obsidian. Oh, okay. So the people that remember the obsidian CR, CRPGs, which is the classic RPGs, the top down, uh, you know, Pillars of Eternity is really well known for being kind of the return to form. But Tyranny is like this amazing game that I feel like doesn't get as much press as the other ones because um, it kind of it came out between uh, Pillars of Eternity and Pillars of Eternity 2. And I think it kind of got overshadowed by the other ones. Um, but, uh, you know, Tyranny is 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 like it, it feels like this huge world. But the, that's the trick is that it's it, it is narratively dense there's a lot to explore but you, you save money on design by not actually having it be four billion square miles yeah and the engine you know being like a more isometric view versus having to do something like um modify bethesda's engine to make it do new things in new vegas you free up a lot of development resource and budget and time to focus on that narrative 
and the interlocking stories and all the stuff that Obsidian was great at. So that's oh that's why I always wanted to do that because I knew with a smaller scope on, say, engine and technology, they can tell one hell of a story. I, I can't imagine how hard it must have been to repurpose the Fallout 3 engine to try to do new things. Is it oh, the Fallout and 3 I engine? I will tell you stories it, sometime. <laughs> isn't that like the Morrowind engine? They've been using uh, – what, what, it's got some horrible name like Embryo. Gamebryo. Gamebryo. But horrific. Yeah, some modified embryo. Yeah, uh, they've been using that forever. I mean, the reason they didn't have iron sights on all the guns in Fallout 3 was probably because they went, well, that that is more money and work than we want to do. And then New Vegas to then go, let's do that thing must have just been so much work. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I worked on like the armor system and the ammo subtypes in doing all a lot of the RPG stat changes and... I mean, it was a lot of work from what I remember, but I I know that they, they seemed to... It looked like they kept a lot of code from game to game just to maximize uh, what they were able to do with their budget, which makes sense when you think about it. Like, I, I, It felt like when they went to Skyrim, and I'm totally like guessing on this part, um, but when they moved to Skyrim, it's like, okay, we're going to spend our time and our money on upping the renderer, but the gameplay you know, still borrowed a lot from the past. And when they went to a different game, maybe they would say, okay, the renderer is good. Let's focus more on adding new gameplay mechanics or a new dialogue system. And they kind of pick their battles. And I can't fault them for that because maybe that could contribute to what uh, happened with some of the Obsidian games where the scope was too big and we didn't pick our battles well enough. So there's there's pros and cons to, to you know, trying to reinvent the wheel like I am with Doom Trooper and my own engine versus just right. grabbing something like, Gamebryo and modifying what you can and make it a new game. Well, like a lot of card games, I think use Unity, right? Yeah, it seems to be pretty common. I've seen one or two that used Unreal. Uh, that, those, those always interest me more because I don't see a lot of them. Yeah, no, I imagine. Um, but uh, you know what? Uh, what was I going to say about uh, RPGs and such? Um, yeah, I think what <laughs> they're good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm willing to bet that the uh, the reason that Elder Scrolls Six and Starfield are taking so long is that they're probably trying to modernize or maybe use a new engine or something or modernize the engine. But there's a reason we haven't heard a lot about, you know, the next installment of their most popular franchise. I'd be surprised if they're making a new engine, but I mean, that they're a new company now, so who knows? Yeah, I mean, or they could just be heavily modifying it. I don't know. I'd be willing to say that when they made Fallout 4, though, they probably and what you were saying about you know oh this is the game where they're up doing this and I don't want to shit on Fallout Three too hard because it was like oh they're they're trying to bring a whole new literal dimension of gameplay to Fallout like it is oh, yeah. a significantly different game than Fallout Two or Fallout Tactics or any of the other Fallout games. Well, um, and Ted, it's it's Fallout Three was a new game. It was a new franchise. Like yeah. if you were a gamer the day Fallout Three came out. 99% of chance that you never played Fallout 1 or 2. Like an average right. guy in his basement, you know, parent's house, whatever. Like it, it, there was a huge gap. So Fallout 3 was effectively launching a new franchise. Yeah, no, I, I get that. And I, um, I agree. That's why I always like, oh, I, I do get a little bit annoyed when uh, some of the internet wankers are like, well, Fallout 1 and 2 were so much better. I'm like, they were vastly different games, like completely mm -hmm. different. And, um, I actually dated a girl for a while whose uncle was uh, uh, one of the, the, the creators of the original Fallout. Um, he, he was saying that, like, 
Ironically, the original Fallout was created to be a more action-y virgin, version of, like, Planescape Torment. <laughs> they wanted to have, like, a more action-y version. And now, you know, it's it's quaint to say, because Fallout, by modern standards, the original Fallout is, like, not an action game at all. And then, so when Fallout 3 came out to make a more action version of Fallout, you know, it's, it's actually in line with the, the, the design philosophy of the original. Oh, yeah. And uh, I... Uh, but I, I just think that... um when they were making Fallout 4 and they had the building system. Like, I imagine that the the, the seeds of Fallout 76 were somewhere in the background. They wanted to make a, a, an MMO-style multiplayer Fallout, and they were like, well, if we're going to do that, we need base building. So let's try to really build up the base building elements in Fallout 4, and then 76 comes out. Um, oh gosh, I, I, once again, I mean, that was their B team working on uh, Fallout 76. It wasn't their you know main Bethesda studio and I, I, that's another story where i think they had like a year to make it and they're working with an engine that like everyone's criticism was like what the inventory is only like 400 units large why don't you just up it to 800 and they're like okay you have no idea that's going to break the server and they're like why is that <laughs> going to break the server and they're like you don't you don't understand what we're working with here and i, I do feel bad for the fall 76 team because they're taking an engine that was not made to create multiplayer games and trying to use it to you know support a multiplayer game. Yeah. I mean, I get, I get that. But that, that Gamebryo engine, man, it's like the Swiss army knife of gaming. Like as much as I want to tell horror stories about working with it and whatnot, if you just think about how many games have been made with it and how many systems have been modified and like, I know obsidian, I don't know how much of it made it into fallout, uh, four, but obsidian heavily modified the internals, like, like our core tech team, uh, a gentleman I know who went on to work at id software, uh, he like rewrote the memory management and stuff so that it would stop crashing under weird circumstances with too much data and everything. And like he, we did some amazing work and people just keep doing that to that engine and it keeps growing into bigger and different games. And that's, that's a feat in itself. Yeah, no, I imagine. Um, I just, uh, I, I'm always just kind of curious, like what I think the, the future of, we, we we always have to like ask like when when we have to like adopt new technology and it is cool to see some of the older technology that still works like it is really cool to see people still making like doom mods and stuff you know but mm-hmm. uh there's a reason that most new AAA games aren't using the doom engine and uh but they it's could not... and maybe they should oh i don't think so i think that there's yeah. a there, there's a small market for it um, but you have games like Wrath and Strife that uses like the Quake 2 engine, and that's cool. But I, I wouldn't like it would quickly get old if every single game was like that. On the flip side, though, Ted, uh, growing up, like I said, I'm 37, I think. Uh, growing <laughs> up, we always imagined like, man, in a couple of years, video games are going to look just like movies, and you know now they kind of do. And I, I think a lot of people like me are over it. Like yeah. that's why we have this retro revival happening because it's like, well, I don't want to watch a movie; I want to play a game. Yeah, I mean, I. That's the thing, though, is that like we we exist in a in a fluid world. Like nothing is ever just X, Y, or Z, right? And it, it is going to change over time. I mean, uh, the the people are going to want the retro style, and I think that a lot of people are getting a little bit tired of the old retro style. So uh, I do actually think that the the PSX style is coming in as the new <laughs> kind of new wave of indie, and um, that's good. But people are eventually going to get tired of that. I mean, people got tired of the Slenderman games 
And you know what I mean by that? There was like a million of them that all came out at the same time. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, and then there was like, when Amnesia came out, everyone was Amnesia for a minute. When Resident Evil came out, uh, Resident Evil 4 came out, everyone was Resident Evil 4 for a hot minute. And uh, people people get tired of it. And, um, you know, I, I literally just watched um, Paranormal Activity with, with uh, my girlfriend. Um, and she was like, how was this ever, like, how did this get popular? And she's like, I don't get it. And I was like, well, you don't really understand. It was like, you, there, it was a different time. And okay, she doesn't understand how paranormal activity got popular. This lady, who I will refrain from using uh, any derogatory about because she's lovely and wonderful. Uh, this, she Polak. Wrote, this Polak. This <laughs> Polak. Goddamn Polsky. I can cut uh, that if you'd like. <laughs> no, it's fine. She, she's fine with it. She wrote uh, the a lot of the new Blair Witch game, which is based on Blair Witch Project, which is, and she's like, oh, I like the Blair Witch Project. I'm like, motherfucker, you are under contract to say that shit, okay? <laughs> yeah, that I, was a different time. I, that, was a di- that was a different time for sure. So, you know, the fact that she's like, how is this ever popular? I'm like, you wrote the Blair Witch game. Come on. That was, <laughs> that, that, that Blair Witch Project was a different era where, where certain things were acceptable that aren't anymore. Um uh, and, but, uh, it's just, anyways, what I'm just saying is that, um, you know, what the, the standards that we, we look for in a new game are heavily based on first off how old we are. Like, I don't think that some kid that plays Fortnite all the time is going to like Fallout New Vegas, but I think that what I said, yeah, maybe not, but I think that, uh, some people that get older and are looking for different things in games, like I remember really liking Fallout 3. Um, and I actually gave a really, I think I gave a five out of five review to, uh, Fallout 4 when it came out. Uh, I should also mention this was back in the dark times where, uh, I was drunk all the time. So, uh, I probably wouldn't give as good of a review to Fallout 4 now. Although I don't think Fallout 4 is a bad game. It, it's, I think a lot of people malign it, but I, I think it's good. I think the DLC wasn't that good, but. Out of I'm, the, uh, you know, taken as its, as its own thing. Yeah, it's pretty good, but, um, you know, it definitely gave, uh, storytelling up in place of gameplay which you know gameplay is really cool i really like gameplay i value it more than storytelling but uh all the same you know well i guess you got to take it on a game by game basis well you know i i mentioned being burned out not being able to play new vegas i couldn't play skyrim for the same reason but i actually put probably 20 hours into fallout 4 so there's something there uh for sure i was able to forget any like you know, trauma I had against the the engine in the Fallout series, and and played decent amount of that game. So, I yeah, I, mean, give it I, I don't think that Fallout Four. I mean, there's a lot of YouTube criticism out there for it, but I, I think it is. Uh, what was I saying? Something about Fallout, uh, whatever. Um, so let's <laughs> let's talk in detail about Alpha Protocol. Oh, jeez. So you worked on Alpha Protocol, though, right? Yeah, I did work on Alpha Protocol. I uh, that that comes up way more than you would expect uh, in conversation when I meet people. <laughs> so Alpha Protocol is like this strangely ambitious game, and I, I would actually say all of uh, 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 Obsidian's game. well, that was Obsidian, right? Yeah. They, 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 all of their games are rather ambitious. Um, Alpha right. Protocol uh, was a <laughs> ambitious game that uh, did not do very well. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of curious because that game went through a number of iterations. Yeah. Um, I know for a fact that there were at least two versions of the game. 
I remember seeing the original first version of it, and there was a level where it was a lot of quick time events, and you were skydiving, mm-hmm. and you had to like respond to quick time events, and I don't remember exactly, but my my hazy memory is something like catching on another guy falling and taking his parachute and saving yourself, and like it was very different feeling versus the the game that you that was released later. Um, mm-hmm. But that was also Obsidian's. I don't, I don't know if it's their first attempt, but it was a real attempt to make an original IP, uh, which, is, if I remember correctly, ended up uh, reverting back to Sega in order to like maintain the budget to finish the game. But it so Sega owns it now, or at least last I checked. Uh, hmm. But Obsidian created everything from scratch, so it was it was a really good attempt at making something fresh, like a spy RPG with original characters and. Chris Avalone coming in and writing a bunch of dialogue and story and stuff. And uh, it was super fun to work on just because you couldn't compare it to anything. Mm-hmm. How long did you work on that game? Because it was in development for something like six years. Yeah, I remember four or five years. I think it, w- it was going on through at least three years of me working there. But. Man, I don't remember. I think I have those notes somewhere, but I don't remember exactly how long I worked on it. What, what did you? What was your job? Um, I came in pretty much pretty late on the project, and I, I know I helped with some. I believe I helped with a little bit of the boss fights, and I know I did a lot of just like triage, like just these things are slipping through the cracks and need to get fixed, and you have to go through and, and figure them out. Mm-hmm. So I tried. To, I don't know. I, I enjoy that stuff. I like triage, and they knew that, so they put me on that when the Aliens RPG got canceled, which was what I was previously on. Uh, which is unfortunate. Yeah, um, that. I have some artwork from that game in my office. I found when I was cleaning the other day. I want to get framed because that was, man, that would have been fun to to put out and play. Yeah, I mean, uh, this is back. I mean, I guess that makes sense because you were working with Sega, and I think Sega owns the game rights to the Aliens franchise, unless I'm incorrect. Uh, I, they did at least, and they, I, if I remember correctly, they had to cancel either our game or the Gearbox game, and Gearbox was further along. Mm, no, that's unfortunate. Oh, Colonial Marines? Uh, I think that's the one, yeah. Oh, that's a bad game, though. <laughs> I mean... That's like a really bad game. Here, I found, I actually found my notes. I worked on Alpha Protocol February 2009 to October 2009, so what is that, uh, eight months? Yeah, that's a while. Uh, that's, um, so what, you were just doing triage? And, well, I guess it, mean, it means there was a lot of triage in that game. <laughs> I know I did more than just triage. I, I, I know I did uh, a lot of the logic on the sniper rifle level, because I remember spending a lot of time, because that sniper rifle was a unique mechanic, because it was a fixed, you couldn't leave the sniper rifle. Uh, yeah. So I spent a lot of time making sure that everything worked right there for, for that. Yeah, I remember playing through that game, and uh, it, it had some really interesting stuff to it. Like, you could play through the game as um, the, the there was a class you could play through. If you played it through with your first playthrough, and you won with that class, then you unlocked something special for your second playthrough. And I was like, hell yeah, that sounds awesome. Um, and then I also tried to go uh, a melee character in that, in that same run, uh, not realizing that melee was horribly underpowered, especially with the, some of the later boss fights. <laughs> um, it basically made the game like functionally impossible, and uh, that I was going both of these specs at the same time. 
Uh, I should have just stopped because uh, I I have this thing where whenever I see a game coming out that's like a gun shooter, I'm like I'm gonna try to go a melee spec, like with a uh, remnant from the ashes that came out recently. I was like I'm gonna try to do the whole thing melee. Did not work in that game either. Um, to be fair probably... though, often it does work. Uh, in New Vegas, by far the most powerful build is the uh, unarmed build with the death claw. Uh, anything. Power fist, uh, ballistic fist, which te- I guess technically is just a gun taped to your hand. Uh, <laughs> I but... sure that was fun. Uh, anyways, sorry. Continue. <laughs> um, well, I mean, uh, so anyways, uh, the, the, what game was I talking? So, uh, Alpha Protocol, right. Um, the, the cool thing about Alpha Protocol was that it, it did try to have this, like, insanely complicated web of characters that could live or die or ally yourself with. Um, I'm not sure how actually robust it was. Like, I've never, like, really dug into it. But there were some really cool choices you had in that game. Yeah, the the dialogue system I know we spent a lot of time on and the having it count down and put you under pressure to choose the right thing. Uh, it, people always loved that. I know in development and in, in reviews, but it it was one of those things where the game was so big and I'm learning from experience with Doom Trooper that even if you think you got it all wrangled, when you get to the end and all the pieces are coming together, there's going to be a, a couple of misfires in there that you have to go through and, and fix. And it's it's tricky to make a game that has that kind of branching choices. But Obsidian's one of the best at it. Yeah, yeah. And I think that um, I would be really interested to see if if it's maybe that the time has passed for this, but if that uh aliens game can get made by obsidian now that they have a lot more clout than they they used to because um i mean like obsidian when they uh i mean there's a large period of time where what was their first game was it like uh knights of the old republic 2 oh did they do knights of the old republic 2 yeah and then uh neverwinter knights 2 yeah okay that's what i thought and then I started on the end of Neverwinter Nights 2 working on the, the patches and the DLCs. And then I worked on the second expansion for Neverwinter Nights 2 is when I started mm-hmm. there. Yeah. And I, I think that they have significantly more clout now than they did back then. Um, oh, for sure. After yeah. Fallout and, and Dungeon Siege and uh, South Park, like they started getting real. Well, I think that probably uh, South Park is probably the one that really kind of uh, for a lot of uh, non gamer gamers put them on the map yeah. um, because they've always been like a gamers gamer company. If that makes sense. Games for gamers. Like, that sounds obvious, but um, as opposed to for filthy scrub casuals and the stick of truth was not a filthy scrub casual game, but it was uh, uh, more accessible to the general public. Yeah. I mean, I think obsidian fit in the little side of the puzzle with Bioware and even blizzard uh, because even games like Diablo were gamer, even though widely successful, or World of Warcraft, they were gamer games. Mm-hmm. Um, but then every one of those companies has taken the leap forward with, I guess, Mass Effect and Overwatch, and maybe it was South Park for Obsidian to a smaller scale. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, I'm interested to see where the, the company goes in the future. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just... Um, Alpha Protocol in particular always sticks out as one of those games in my mind. That's like, I I wish more people, it's like one of those where I I recommend that people play it, but I also don't because (laughs) it is like a a kind of a mess in a lot of parts. It's very buggy. And um, there is some weirdness to it. Like there's a lot of weirdness, but it's also like, 
you can see beneath the surface, like you're like an oracle looking into a, a, like a scrying glass, like something very, very uh, interesting that they were trying to do. Yeah. Uh, so my friend Doug runs a company called Limited Run. They do like limited run games. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And every time I meet up with him, we, I'd say with 40% seriousness, uh, always discuss either working together where <laughs> Secret Cow level, my company and his company would publish a remaster of Alpha Protocol or a revisit to the universe. And I've joked with some people at Obsidian about it. And it's something that everyone like, no one has said that's a stupid idea. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, that would be totally cool. You know, like we, we, we entertain that idea just because anyone who touched that game, playing it or developing it, knows that there's something there. It just may not have gotten the 10 out of 10 execution that it deserved. And it all would come down to Sega. Uh, so if, if someone from Sega hears this and they want, they want to revisit the Alpha Protocol wor- world, they know who to talk to. I don't think they will. It's like uh, Sega is like doing pretty well right now. Um, their like brand is like pretty solid with a lot of their franchises. Uh, yeah. I know that they made a shit ton of money off of the, uh, the new total war games and stuff. So, I mean, they uh, can so- give me the IP for a dollar and then they don't have to worry. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. It's, it's one of those business decisions though, you know, right. It's like, uh, mm-hmm. it's like, uh, yeah, they could, but then, Oh, but the, the IP is valued at a certain number and it, that's like the, the problem with Hollywood right now is that they have all these IPs that are theoretically worth so much money, but they can't make a movie that's like it, – it's showing that the IP isn't actually valuable. Because like somewhere in a spreadsheet, Alpha Protocol, the IP, is adding some millions of dollars to Sega's overall corporate value you know, for their, their theoretical value of a company, sure. of their library. Um, and so you, know, you have a, a title like uh, uh, Terminator or uh, Blair Witch. That's a good example too. Uh, Blair Witch is worth X amount of money to Lionsgate in their portfolio as a, as a company. Our company is valued at this. Uh, and then a movie comes out and, uh, the most recent Blair Witch film, uh, which was just called Blair Witch, it failed to make like 50,000, sorry, $50 million off of a $5 million budget, which to us is like, wow, they'd like 10 times their money. That's not how Hollywood's looking at it. Cause they're like, oh shit, we only made 50 million off of this IP that's supposedly worth hundreds of millions. Yeah, uh, what are we doing? Or Terminator Dark Fate. You know, when Terminator Dark Fate bombs, it's not even that it doesn't... Like, so Terminator Dark Fate, I don't even think, met the production budget, which is super fucking rare in Hollywood. Um, to not even meet the production budget, especially for a big IP like that. But the reason that they're so scrambling on it is like, oh shit, we value Terminator in our library as like a billion dollar franchise, you know? And if that IP is not worth actually a billion dollars, then what's our company worth? And the, that's why these bombs really, really hurt. So if that's why, like, you know, if anyone was ever wondering, why doesn't this company just let this person do this thing? Uh, just let them do it. It's only a value add. Well, because the, the actual theoretical number of how much that IP is worth is something on the back end that they are considering in their, their financials. So that's why, in case yeah. anyone's curious out there. It's a bummer because Alpha Protocol, I mean, we can make an Alpha Protocol movie. Huh. <laughs> that would be a, like a Jason Bourne film because it basically was a Jason Bourne film. I mean, cross with James Bond and Jack Bauer. Right? That was kind basically. of basically definitely going to have to play it. You make it, you really sold me on it. I feel, I feel bad for uh, having it be in my steam library all these years. Yeah. I well, mean, you're lucky that it's in your steam library because you can't buy it anymore. Really? Yeah. Why is that? Uh, Sega. 
Oh. I didn't know that. Yeah, you can't buy Health and Protocol anymore. It's because of uh, some of the music in it or something. Oh, what? That's, that's stupid. Yeah, yeah I, I have it's my library. Say that again? I gotta see if it's in my library. Well, if you had it for... I mean, I, it would stop being sold at some point in the past. I'm not sure exactly why. Uh, at the request of the publisher, Alpha Protocol is no longer for sale on Steam. That's L. That's what it, I don't even see it. I don't think I have it. <laughs> you don't have your own game, bro. You're, you get, get dumped. Shit, man. I think I have a PC version on my shelf in the other room. I'll have to check. <laughs> a disc. Yeah. Oh, oh, on the Alpha Protocol Wikipedia page, though, it says Entertain- Obsidian Entertainment has publicly stated its desire to develop a sequel. Oh, so yeah. They, huh. uh, but they must, but the intellectual property owner must approve a sequel. So Sega would have to give it the okay. But they've said they want to. So, you yeah. know, there you go. And if not, I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, um,. But yeah, you know, it was one of those things. Like I said, I was I was surprised to find out that you had uh, had worked on that because you hadn't mentioned it like ever. <laughs> yeah, no, I well, um, not only Alpha Protocol but New Vegas. So I've worked on are... some some cool stuff. I I never really chased after the money. I just kind of chased chased after what would be really like fun and cool and interesting. And uh, you know, that led me to computers, which leads me to have a decent income, which I'm thankful for. But uh, I'm just blessed to have worked on some fun awesome stuff yeah i mean it's cool i mean at the end of the day you would rather be happy with your legacy than um you know apathetic about it yeah i mean a little money would be nice (laughs) well hopefully you'll get a little bit of money off of uh the dread x collection because i hope uh, so yeah yeah i'm uh i'm hoping we sell a billion copies then we'll all be very rich be nice i mean for seven bucks it's a steal so we probably will yeah i mean i can't hype it up enough because it is my project but it also is like it is actually like a lot of value for seven. Like I really should have thought more about how much we were pricing it, but hopefully people buy it for seven bucks. Yeah, I think they will. Yeah. Anyways, uh, Justin, we're gonna have to get off the phone uh, here now. Oh, the phone, the recording here now. Uh, the pod, the pod, the, the the call that we were using. We're gonna uh, have to end this uh, cyber. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but thank you so much for taking the time to uh, once again chat with me. It was really awesome. Um, yeah. It's and, always uh, always a pleasure. Yeah, no, it was it was great, and it's been great working with you on this uh, project. And I hope that all the people listening now uh, buy the Dread X collection. Yeah, and uh, while they're waiting, they're welcome to play Doom Trooper at uh, you know join up our Discord or DoomTrooperGame.com. Is yeah, it, how, uh, how can people find it now? Is it still? Is it out? Uh, yeah, we're not on Steam. You can wishlist us on Steam. Uh, we'll be launching on Steam shortly, as soon as we meet some of their requirements that they've requested, but. Uh, that helps us to wishlist. And then doomtroopergame.com, uh, you can join our Discord, and someone in there can get you a beta key right away, or you can join the mailing list, and we'll get you in uh, to the closed beta. Well, fuck all yeah. right. Justin, thank you so much for joining us, and thank you all at home for uh, listening. we got the DreadX collection coming out soon, so check the link in the description. Hopefully we'll have that uh, all up and running by the time you're listening to this. But uh, thank you so much for checking in. We will be resuming our regular real professional schedule uh, pretty shortly here when we're after the announcement goes live. And uh, so we'll be hearing from all kinds of devs and uh, other people working in the industry. So thank you so much for tuning in and uh, bye. Well, I just think to save our country, we need to abolish the political parties, make them political action committees. And there's one thing we could do to start off with. 
Why do we put, and I refer to them as the Democrips and the Republicans because they call the blue states Democrats. Well, that's also the colors of the Crips. Blue. And naturally, the blood's color is red, and the Republican states are called red states. And for those who don't know, those who don't know what you're talking about, these are two of the most infamous gangs. It started in Los Angeles, the Bloods and the Crips, they want to kill each other, and they wear these colors, the blues and the reds. So you're, you're basically likening the politicians in Washington these days to gang leaders and gang members. Is that right? Yeah, that's true, and they're worse. Let me explain why they're worse. The Crips and the Bloods, the street gangs, well, they can be devastating to a certain small part of the population. The Democrats and the Republicans, the Democrats and Republicans, they affect everybody in this country. And they've been in charge for over 100 years.